Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, currently Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today's guest is Rob Riley, Global Creative Chairman of McCann World Group. Rob is responsible for creative oversight of the McCann brand globally, as well as developing multi-platform approaches by leveraging McCann World Group's broad capabilities and communications resources to help clients meet their creative challenges with precision and impact. That's a lot of job, a lot of responsibility, and we're going to talk to him about his best practices and ideas for getting uh, into the business of advertising. So um, this is going to be great. But first, we're going to talk about our sponsor. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. That's adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow AdHouseNYC on Facebook. And now, my interview with Mr. Rob Riley. Let's start. Um, so, Rob Riley, you're the, yeah. uh, you're the global creative chairman of McCann World Group, which is an, an insane title. But I want to take you back to your early, where did you grow up? What did you want to be? I grew up in North Jersey, a town called Montvale, New Jersey. I know Montvale very well. Yeah, that's where, um, you know, it's near where the BMW Corporation and Mercedes used to be. A lot of corporations out there. Yeah, it's out. It's out on the on the highway. Now, what what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were when you were out in Montvale, New Jersey, did you know? I didn't really know. I don't know if I, what I wanted to be. I was always a bit of a. I was always a bit of a performer, I suppose. You know, I, I play. I was a pretty good soccer player. Right. Better, better than average. Uh, and uh, so there's always those hopes and dreams that you're going to be good enough to, to do that. Um, and I was, you know, I was in a band in high school. Uh, so what kind I, of a band? I, it was like a like a cover, you know, like yeah. a crack cover band. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I, you know, I was a singer, so I, I always had a. You know, I didn't fear the crowds necessarily. Like maybe I liked the the being on, but being on stage, and I feel like we're we're on stage here. You know, in this job. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think uh, in college, you know, I, I you know, I, I uh, did communication. Yeah, I thought of being like a host of a game show or something. Right. You know? uh, I don't know. I but I I didn't know where I'd end up, and actually. Um, I mean, I'll let you keep asking questions. I don't know. No, where'd you go to school? More, like, where'd, where'd more, you? More about my youth. Um, I went to school at the University of Delaware. And then, how did you end up in in Florida doing you? you well, you were like I, uh, a you were like a bartender. You weren't. You didn't go into advertising right away, right? You were yeah, like. Yeah, I was a bartender down at the beach, uh, Dewey Beach, which is part of Delaware Beach right. near Rehoboth. Um, I did that, and I was, and that's where I did my first ad, really. But even in college, I worked as an account person at a small agency. Oh. Called Di Donato, Di Donato Gladstone and Quinn, small small agency, and I was like a like a 
account person, you know, trying to do stuff. I guess, you know, this is a small agency. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then I worked as a bartender. I used to write all the, the airplane signs, you know, to get people to come to the Oh, the to ones the pulled by the airplanes down the yeah, Jersey yeah, Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, you know, like, talk about, you know, economizing words. Yeah. You know, so that was sort of my foray into it. I always had, you know, I was always sort of a marketing kind of person and used to do, you know, come up with promotions for bars and stuff like that. So, uh, do you remember any yeah. of those, of those ads that you wrote for the planes? Uh, <laughs> I might've wrote like all the girls are at the waterfront. I don't know. Good. That's <laughs> uh, always, always going to work. Water, like all, 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 girls on, on the waterfront, like, all quiet on the water. I don't know. Some yeah, funny yeah. crap. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good, you know, listen, I, I don't know if that was the form, formidable years of my advertising career, but um, I don't know. You know, I, I think, again, these things, you know, if you're, you're a bartender, and if you work, if you're good, you're, you know, working at, like, a crazy bar, you're on stage. I mean, all these things, there was definitely a, uh, a desire to, to, to perform in some way. To be a showman. Know, so. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, I tried to be, you know. I mean, I wasn't a very good I was it was definitely cocktail-esque. Yeah. You know, in my the speed in which I could make drinks. The drinks weren't very good, but they were fat. Right. And you could flip a bottle. Yeah. And then pour it. I could do some some of that stuff. So, you know, all this plays into being, you know, maybe comfortable in front of people and understanding like part of your job is is selling is putting on a show. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a good insight. I think a lot of a lot of kids don't. They think, oh, if I'm good enough and I have the talent, then I won't have to sell it. Yeah, I think that's. But you know, in the end, I always say, like, when young people ask me, "Can I?" You know, you know, young creators are like, "Why can't I present my work to <laughs> to clients?" I'm I'm always like, at your age and your level, of your career, like, the most important thing is you get a body of work. Right. That's great. And right. I'm going to, you know, and I'm or, you know, one of the ECDs or CDs are going to do a better job selling it. Yes. You know, and making sure it gets made. Yes. There's going to be plenty of time for you to learn how to present work internally of these things. But I'm, I'm a big proponent of not fumbling at the goal line because we're trying to grow people. You know, right. Like grow them. Young people want to make great work. That's yeah. how you advance in your career. But once yeah. you get to, you know, a more senior level, you better know how to, you know, I call it, you better know how to be a charming provocateur. Right. You, know, you, you used to be able to uh, be the moody asshole creator, creative <laughs> yeah. or throw people at chairs at people like yes. George Lois or, yes. you know, burn people's work like Sal, yes. Sal used to, you know, Sal, Sal DeVito, DeVito. Yes. all those famous stories. And uh, I think those days are gone. I don't think you could be the asshole creative anymore. I don't think creative director, I don't think that exists. Yeah. You know, I, I think... No one wants to deal with it externally and internally. Right, because our you know, jobs no one, are, no, are too hard as it is. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, you might think everybody's going to kowtow to you because you're angry, but you know, people will find a way to screw you in your own agency if you're an asshole. Right. You Even know? if they but, never tell you that they did, they will. Of course they don't. You know, yeah. but they they will find a way to get to you, um, and that's not helpful. But we also don't need the pushover creatives to just creative directors who, hey, everybody's happy, the client's happy. Well, do we, are we happy? Right. No, but, you know, like, so we don't need that either. So you kind of need this sort of, you know, some people will find it, call it a unicorn, you know. I call it the charming provocateur. Right. You know, you, you, and you got to be charming first. 
Yes. You know, you, you have to draw clients, people in. Clients only buy what you sell them if they like you. And part of getting them to like you is that they trust you. You know their business. Yeah. You're, you're really looking to help their business. Yeah. Not, you know, help yourself. Uh, and make them famous, not the you know, and the work famous, not the agency or, or yeah, your, yeah, yeah. your own personal success. And people and, and clients can smell it. Uh, and then you know, then you could be provocative. Then you could sell ideas that maybe push the, the boundaries. Yeah. But it doesn't go the other way, you know. Um, I and then someone always asks me like, well, what do you mean? Give us an example of a person. So I say you need to be the Richard Branson of, of advertising. We buy what Richard Branson's selling because we like him and trust him. For yeah, some yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he feels his spirit, whatever that may be. Yeah. So, you know, that's that, that's my advice I ever give to young people: like, figure out how to be the Richard Branson of advertising. And what are what are some things you could work on if you were a young person that that uh, to be the Richard Branson? What what would be the uh, well? Or do I you mean, think it's I, more important to to work on your skills as a as an idea person? Well, I mean, I, look, look at that both. But like, listen. You know, to get your creative directors to like to, to buy your work, they got to like you too. You know, like right. part of part of any. I mean, for you and for me, like I like people who bring a lot of ideas. Yeah. You know, and don't get precious about ideas. Get yeah. precious about an idea that's sold, maybe. But you know, our our job is to come up with ideas. You got to show a hundred great ideas to get one made. You know, like yeah. we've got to be realistic with the ratio. Be more realistic with your ratio. Right. Like, assume you've got to show 100 ideas to get one sold. And yeah. the good news is if your job is just coming up with ideas, it's kind of amazing. As a young person, like, you're not dealing with what you're dealing with or what I'm dealing with. Yeah. I mean, my job currently is imagine every, every hour of every day somewhere in the world someone's trying to fire us. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, that is your job. job now. Yes. And, I, and now I go and, fix, and put out, try to help put out those fires. And I'm not complaining about it. Like, right. I've signed up for it. You know, we're, we're well compensated for that. That's, yes. that's what it is. But as a young person, like, your job is to take a problem, solve it with creativity. Well, yeah. an amazing job. And hopefully you get something made, you know, and hopefully the work gets made. And that's, that's the gravy. Yeah. You know, that's the gravy. So be a fountain of ideas. And, and I read somewhere that you have a poster on your wall that says, outthink, outwork, outcare. Yeah, that's a poster everywhere. That's a, that's a, that's, that's the poster. We, when I first got here, you know, the, there was, we, Harris, you know, everybody was asking me, like, what's your vision? And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to be that guy who sends out a vision to 25,000 people. Right. You know, uh, but I said, we can have a goal. And the goal was, I called it three for all. And there's a guy named Gary Todd who is a designer and works with us in, in, uh, in London. And he's worked for McCann for 20 odd years. And, and, he, uh, and he designs all these things I say, you know, because. Right. You know, you got to have, if you're going to try to socialize something, it's got to look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So three-for-all was the first thing I did, which was like, and I said, like, of course we want everything to be great, you know, but it's a challenge. As long as everything's good, you know, especially with these big, large, multinational, global clients, yeah. everything's got to be good. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's got to be great, you know? Yeah. And then three times a year, for every office, every client in every office, it's got to be magical. So three for all is like every client, every office, every year, three magical pieces that we can hold up and tell a story about, make a case about, maybe enter in award shows to win awards. But that's the byproduct, not the motivation by far. So, you know, that was an easy thing for people to look at and say, okay, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, Rob didn't come in here and say, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing. Everybody's going to change. Like, listen, guys, like the biggest way for big agencies to fail 
is you think that every every client isn't required to do quality work. Right. You know, and it's attainable goal. And I said, share this with our clients. Don't make this a internal, internal yeah. you know, judo move we're going to do. Yeah. Share this with clients because, like, at the end of the year, if you don't have three things you can hold up as magical, then I think the, the relationship has to be reassessed. Not that we'd resign it or the client would fire us, but maybe the people aren't right. Maybe the chemistry is wrong. Maybe our process is wrong. Something is wrong that we haven't made great things. And that's where Lockheed Martin came out of. It, it came out of a desire to take every one of these briefs and say, you know, this could be something. Tell me the so, Lockheed Martin story. Yeah, the field trip to Mars. Yeah. You know, I mean, Lockheed is a, a client from McCann for a long time, but very much business to business, you know, you know, good work, hadn't really done anything that was standout. And this Lockheed Martin assignment came as a, a brief to our team and that was like, hey, our, the CEO of Lockheed Martin is speaking at the National Science Fair in D.C., and they want sort of a, some kind of announcement to, to, to kick that off. You know, at the same time, Lockheed Martin was, a, you know, because Lockheed Martin had been developing with Discovery, you know, a curriculum for young kids to go into science and be inter- inter- interested in space travel. Yeah. So they, they, had a, they were already doing stuff getting young people interested in space travel. Mm-hmm. They also were fighting the fact that people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson were getting really the lion's share of the, of, the, of, of the noise and culture about being, you know, innovative when it came to space travel. Right. When, in fact, Lockheed Martin is actually making the spaceships that are going to Mars. Right, the actual like spaceships. But like a lot of, you know, brands that were, you know, seen as government contractors and doing a lot of that, you know, that kind of work, you know, they were seen as a little bit more of a dusty brand. When right. the reality is they were. They were their forefront. So that was sort of the, the brief, and that's where Lockheed Martin came out of. Like, And it started as, what if we created a train that went from, you know, uh, one part of the country to the other part and, and, and transformed it into a group VR experience. Well, that died. Uh-huh. And then it was a plane. Yeah. Then it was a city bus. And right. it kept dying. And Lisa Nacella and Steve Zaroff, Lisa's the head account person, Steve's the head of strategist, head yeah. of strategy, like they kept bringing it back and our teams kept ideating and it became a school bus. Well, that makes sense if you're speaking to young kids that it's amazing how this stuff happens. The thing had yes. to die 20 times. Yes. And it won 20 lines. I love know, that. Or 19 lines. You know, and nine, I, love, I love when account people and planners are the ones pushing for the great ideas to come yeah, back. Yeah, of course. You know, Eric uh, Silver and Dan Donovan are Sean Bryan and Tom yeah. are a whole – everybody. But, like, if you don't have account people yeah. that have such thick skin and know how to find new angles in and find ways to bring it back and clients like them and are willing to listen that 19th time yes. because they were charming and they were – and cared about the business. They knew it was this was the right thing to do. And, you know, I give Lockheed a lot of credit. Yeah. That took a lot of guts to do what they did. Yeah. Because it, it you know, it almost didn't work. And, you know, that CEO would have been standing out there and she would have had nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always say these kinds of ideas, somebody has to cry. Hopefully it's not me. Yes. But uh, somewhere along the line, like, there is real struggle and strain on the system. Yes, but and it's pushing truly, through and getting it getting it made anyway that that, that yeah, separates and to truly do great things like it, it requires such a level of pain that you have to be set up and willing to take. Yes, but as long as if you're supportive and you care about each other internally in your own agency, you can't lose. 
Do you feel you know, like you need everybody going the same direction? Do you feel like the the generation now? We we you know we all hear about millennials, and I think that's a, a lot of bull crap about you know how they're different than everybody else. But do you think that they're ready for that kind of hard work? Well, I have a theory on this, as I have on many things. <laughs> And my theory is that, you know, it's really not their fault because they've grown up in a culture of instant gratification, right? Yeah. I, I, need, I need to find out about something. I go on the Internet, you know? I need to order something. I need to buy something. I get it on the Internet. I need, I need to talk to my friends instantly all the time. I can do it. So when you grow up in that culture, it makes sense that you want things fast or I want a promotion faster. I want this idea to be sold faster. I want to be in me. I want responsibility. I want money. I want all those things because our whole culture is about instant gratification. Yeah. So, but I think the more and more when you see these things and when we reward, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the industry rewards these ideas that are really big for really hard brands and really bold and required a lot of pain, it's just clear to young people through, and hopefully they get it through osmosis, through either being part of it or witnessing it within the industry. Yeah. Oh, those are the ideas that are being held up as, as best in class. And they clearly, and when they hear the stories of how it got made mm-hmm. and how painful it was, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, I guarantee anything you look at that, you know, was Grand Prix or Gold at Cannes or One Show, you know, there was a level of pain. It wasn't like, you know, you know, I came up with this idea and we shot it and the next thing you know, it was done. You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Hardly ever. Um, Hardly ever. Well, I think I, I, I would give millennials more credit than they actually. Yeah, me you know, too. I think a lot of them do, you know. Yeah. And they just have grown up in a place of instant gratification, and they want more, and more, and more. But you know, I always say, you know, just do your job, and 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 hopefully you have good enough bosses that, you know, recognize your talent and will reward you with promotions and 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 salary raises. And, right. And eventually, but don't make that the first thing. But you know, <laughs> do your job for a little bit. So Enjoy you. It. You were promoted pretty quickly, and I feel like you, in your career, you went, you know, you were a big, you know, CD or something at BBDO when you said, okay, I'm going to take a pay cut, take a salary cut, take a, take a, take yeah. a, uh, a title cut and go to Crispin. Tell me about that. Like, why, why that well, decision? That's a, that's a, a lot of people would not have the courage. Yeah. Well, one, uh, I was not at BBDO. I was only at BBDO for about four weeks. That didn't oh, work out for me right. there. But I was at Hill Holiday. Right. Uh, I was at Hill Holiday, went to BBDO. Four weeks later, went back to Hill Holiday. <laughs> uh, my boss was, you know, left, and they sort of put me into the top spot temporarily, right. you know, also being the running. I was the ECD of the office. <laughs> uh, and I was about 31, I think. And, I, you know, it was a lot easy when, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I grew up with great parents who, you know, the, you know, was not spoiled and certainly the value of money, you were aware of it, you know, yeah. and it taught parents who taught you that and, you know, to never follow the money, you know, that right. was, you know, was another thing that was clear. Don't follow the money, follow the opportunity. Wow. And I was kind of in this position where it's like, you know, I think in New York, it's one of those things you can sort of see it happen, you know, yeah. you get in this track whether it's, you know, whatever kind of agency you're big or small these days, you get this track and you can sort of envision what your career might be. And for whatever reasons, you know, I you know, had done enough work that was pretty good, but I hadn't done any famous work. Right. And I was in a system that maybe wasn't going to get me there. 
Now, not having any real debt, not having a family, not having kids, it's really easy for me to say, you know what, having a girlfriend who is that Crispin, you know, a lot of the reasons, you know, <laughs> hey, you know what, I'll give this a shot. So taking the salary cut by 60% and the title cut back to copywriter from ECD, yeah. that wasn't the hard part. Yeah. The hard part was surviving in Crispin. <laughs> yeah. You know? Tell me about being, that. Were you were you afraid? What? Were you afraid that you weren't going to do it? You weren't going to be I able wasn't to? afraid. I wasn't afraid of my talent. I was just, you know, for whatever reason, I just, you know, was in situations where I, n- I never just was able to do the really, really fantastic work at these other shops, whether right. it be Hill Holiday or Alley and Gargano and my short stint at BBDO. It just didn't work out for me. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I had a lot of skills. And I was very confident in my talent. Uh, but Christmas was like 100 people at the time, and it was a very small, you know, tight-knit, you know, operation. And yeah. uh, I, was the, I was sort of the first, even though I had a copywriter title, I was the first sort of ECD, CD-level person Alex brought from the outside. Right. And so, and, you know, my wife, my current wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was like a superstar account person. And Alex didn't want to hire me because, you know, they were getting famous. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, I don't, I like your work. Because I said, listen, if you like my work, forget my title and money. If you like my work, then, you know, let's talk. You know, if you right. don't like it, it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah, yeah. And what happened was, he, begrudgingly, I think he liked my work. And he said, you know what, you know, I, I, I like you, I like your work, but, you know, now you kind of only want to work for us because we're famous. Right. You know, or we're getting famous. I said, really? I go, why don't you check your faxes five years ago when I sent you a fax that actually got into the one show about trying to find a job from Alan Gargano, and I took a job. I just, at Alan Gargano, I just, it was the right move. I just did it in the wrong decade. Oh, my God. It's a famous fax. I have it great. somewhere. I should, Can you I send, send that send to me? To, that would be great if I could get that. I was working at Alan Gargano. And it was, you know, a great agency in the 80s. I worked there in the 90s when it was going out, literally going out of business. Yeah. And at night, DJ Pierce and I, who was my partner, we would, and you might know DJ, I don't know if you know him. I don't. Yeah, but we would stay and we were trying to figure out how we get our next job. So yeah. I basically would write all these faxes and art direct them myself and, like, send them to all these CCOs of places I wanted to work. Wow. So a fax machine, kids, is a, uh, a machine that sends a copy. It's like a copy machine that with a phone attached to it. All right. Go, go yeah. ahead, Rob. So I telling. sent this, so I sent this, um, this fax, and I, every night I would send a fax, and you kind of like hope the next day someone would call you. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, I got a call from Rich. This is when Goodby was like, on fire, right? Mm-hmm. I, I sent it to Rich Silverstein. I got a call from Rich Silverstein's assistant and said, hey, Rich has been getting your... I would send him like one every day. I probably sent like 30 of them. That's amazing. And he said, Rich, Rich got your faxes and he thinks they're really funny. He'd love to see your portfolio. Uh, and, and at the same time, I had sent it to Alex Bogusky and another guy named Mike Tesh, who had worked at Alan Gargano and did the Fast Talk FedEx guy, like... Yep in the Hall of Fame, and he was at this place called HTC in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a competitor at the time of Crispin. And I ended up taking the job at HTC because Alex didn't call me back. And, oh, I, wow. and within the month, I took this job at HTC, working for this guy, Mike Tesh. Great, great creative. In Miami? In, in, in Fort Lauderdale, actually. Okay. But it was sort of on par with Crispin. Looking back, it completely wasn't, but 
you know, at the time it had some momentum. Right. And so when it came to Alex hiring me, uh, when he said, well, you only want to work for us now, I go, remember that fax I sent you five years ago? You never called me back? Because he eventually called me 30 days later. And I said, well, I already took a job, you know, you know, sorry. Yeah. So then, as soon as he found out that, that was when the agency was really small. He's like, all right, you, you wanted to work here when it was just small. So you have the job. It was kind of amazing, right? Just oh, my God. Yeah, but you had to blow. prove that. Yeah, because he wanted to protect the culture. You know, he was very smart in protecting the culture. I only want to, you know, people who really wanted to buy into the vision, you know. Um, but the, the funny uh, anecdote and footnote to this whole story is, uh, I never, Rich Silverstein's assistant called me and said, you know, Rich would love to see your work. I never sent my book because at the time I was so intimidated by Goodby that I felt that the faxes were the best thing in my book. <laughs> it could only be a letdown from there. It could only be a letdown from there. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, who knows what would have happened, you know? But, you know, it worked out for everybody, right? Yeah. And I, I, remember, I told Margaret Johnson this story, and she was laughing her ass off. And I, and I think Rich got told the story. And then I saw him at the at the uh, ad council thing, and I said, "Hey," I, and then and he looked. At, but I try to sort of refresh his memory because it just happened, you know, like a few months ago. And he looked at me like I had three heads. That's so amazing. Like, right, yeah, I'm just gonna let it go. So, but yeah. So once so once I got there, what was interesting was Alex really never, uh, you know, even though I was this guy, I was definitely the outsider. I had all the wrong clothes. I was the big guy from New York, <laughs> you know. I had the, you know, my girlfriend, girlfriend that everybody loves, the great account person, right, right. Laura Bowles. She was there. I was definitely the outsider. He you didn't were, give me you a were partner. her boyfriend, not Rob, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, yeah, not, I was her boyfriend. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I had everything going against me. And Alex really put me to the test a bit. And he didn't give me a partner. And I really didn't have the system work. Luckily, there were a couple guys like Rob Strasberg, yeah. who's still a great friend of mine, and Steve O'Connell, who runs a... Tetmer uh, agency on O'Connell. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they sort of said, well, this is how it works here. You know, the whole system of press releases and lots of ideas not working one campaign, which so, was foreign to me at the time, right? So what does that mean? Talk, talk about that. Like, what they made well, you, they like, made you write they, a press release for your idea, right? Yeah. And it wasn't really called. We evolved it into press release eventually, but it was really like, hey, just come up with ideas lots of them versus spending time trying to crack a whole campaign. Yeah. Come up with the idea for the campaign and do 30 of them, not here's, here's my idea, and it's like one or two ideas. And I remember going into Alex, and he's like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then you never heard about it again. And then like someone's like, well, you, we show tons of ideas. It's amazing how no one tells you anything, and you just, the old way of doing things from New York was just didn't work there. Yeah. You know? I remember that evolved. happening at BBDO with Eric Silver. Um, yeah, I, sure. I came from, um, you know, Kirschenbaum and, you know, it was like pretty, you know, I'd come up with three or four things that I thought yeah. were pretty good and then blow them out and then show everybody. Well, Eric just wanted to, he wanted daily emails with like lists of things that were yeah. uh, funny little scenarios. And if you had to script it out, that's fine. But if you don't, that's even better. Um, and it never worked on more stuff. Um, at first, I was kind of pissed off because I'm like, I want to, I want to present my stuff, man. These are my ideas, you know. But then you realize that it's not about your presentation; it's about the idea. And yeah. you know, the more you have, the more you're going to have, and the better they're going to be. So, um, so I was kind, of, I was kind of, I was, you know, once I got a little lay of the land, I started doing better. But again, I didn't have a partner, so it was kind of out on this like no man's land, you know. Yeah. And being from New York, I, I think I didn't have a real self-awareness of just how different I was from the 
people who were down there. Like, everybody had short, I had like Prada boots with the red stripe on the back, you know? Like, I, I had all the wrong gear, you know? Everything flip flops, and here's this idiot. Yeah. And uh, Dressed about in black a month on in, Miami Beach. Yeah, about a month in, Alex calls me in his office and he says, Hey, listen, man, I think you're awesome. I know you haven't sold anything, and, you know, it was probably, like, frustrating, but he's like, I really think you're great. I think you're, you know, you've got great ideas, and, you know, just keep doing it. But, but he goes, but here's the thing. No one else here likes you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and, and so I expected him to say, like, you know what, fuck it. As long as I like you, it doesn't matter. You know, this, yeah. isn't, you don't need, this isn't camp. You don't need to make friends. Just keep coming with awesome ideas. Yeah. He said the opposite. So he goes, so it doesn't really matter how much I like you and think you're great. If everybody else doesn't like you, if you can't figure out how to get on with people here wow. and get them to like you, you got to leave. Wow. And I remember going back to, um, to, um, to Laura, you know, my girlfriend yeah. at the time, yeah. and going to the apartment, I was fucking gutted, you know, because oh. all I was doing was, like, I gave up all this job, gave up yeah. this money and title to move to Florida, to start my career over and be with her, all these things, and here's this agency who's just rejecting me, yeah. you know? And it's like, wow. fuck this. I was like, fuck it. Fuck them all. Yes. And uh, so I remember telling Laura the story and expecting her to be like, you know what, let's just leave. We'll, we'll go somewhere else, yeah. you know? And she said the opposite. She said... You're being a pussy. Wow. She used those words. You, you've done nothing. Why don't you just try shutting up and just doing the work? Wow. And it was like, I was like, fuck you too. You know, fuck yeah, you yeah, all. Yeah. Fuck you, clicky, Crispin. Yeah, I hate yeah, this yeah. place. I'm and sure a lot of people would have reacted like that. Like probably yeah, sent a, a, a mean fax of your butt to, uh, to Alex. Yeah, and I was just kind of like, you know what? If, you don't want, if they don't want me, so, and if, like, whatever. So I remember going to sleep that night. And thinking, like, the next day I was just going to, like, say to Alex, you know what, I'm, it's over. And then I woke up, and I'm like, you know what, I gave all this stuff up to come here. Maybe there's some truth to what everybody's saying. Yeah. And I went into Alex. I said, listen, I've, I've spent 10 years selling my brand to marginal success. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll just, I'm, I'm here to sell your brand, and I'll do whatever it takes. So I literally didn't speak to anyone for, like, six months. <laughs> And just try to do some work. And, and once I started selling a few things and getting some work made and, you know, and people thought it was pretty cool and I didn't, they didn't hear me talk, <laughs> then, you know, and I was, you try to be as humble as possible, as, as humble as a New Yorker could be at the time. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that all, that's when it all changed. Wow. You know, once, once you started making some work, then you got the respect. But until you wrote something, until you made something and produced something that was great, yeah, there was no, you couldn't get the respect. So, do you think and, you were you were leading with like, you know, just trying to be something before you were it? What do you think the problem was? Looking back, like, what would you I, tell I, yourself now, back then? To shut up. Yeah. You know, to just just let the work do the talking. You don't know what you're and, talking about. <laughs> and even though I thought I was, I wasn't enough. Right. I wasn't listening. I wasn't just trying to fit into a system, even though I thought I was, yeah. you know, cause I was like, I'm walking on eggshells, but like, I wasn't enough. Like I had to adapt to that system. They didn't have to adapt to me. Right. And I think that when you, anytime you go into a new place, like really figure out how the, this place, especially successful ones, right. Like figure out the system and then exploit it. You right. know? And I think, and then once we got Burger King, you know, that yeah, Alex needed someone with some real, maybe managerial experience. So that's when, 
he may be an ACD and partnered with Andrew and he was a CD. So yeah, sort of, that was sort of the, you know, the beginning of, of, cause that was, a, that was sort of a massive account that we really needed to, you know, and that's, that's kind of the way. Yeah, and you did great work on that. Um, yeah. so I'm starting to be cognizant of, uh, using your time. Um, I don't know how much time I have till four, if that's okay. What time is it now? 3.43. Okay. I shut my clock so, off. Um, okay, cool. So, um, those are great. I, I think we got some great stuff for, for people just starting out in the business. Um, what um, I, I read you saying that you want to be known for evolving the industry beyond what it currently is. Um, yeah. w- what is it currently and where is it going and what's happening? And I'm asking for a friend. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'd love to know. I, I, I do think, I think our jobs, and this is what the, the, the mission of McCann World Group is. And it used to be transforming, transforming brands and building businesses. That's mm-hmm. what, the, that's what the, the mission statement was from here. And when I saw it on a sign when I walked in, I'm like, we got to change that. Yeah. Young people who want to come into our business, who are the key to our business, like, they need to be inspired. So they need to have Van a Powers mission. and I and... Um, some other folks, we, we sat down and said, what has McCann been really good at? And how do we articulate that in a set of words, which is, you know, we help brands be meaningful in people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, help. what's the meaningful role this brand can play in people's lives? Mm-hmm. Chevy, empower people to, to find new roads. Microsoft, in, in, empower people to achieve more. Mm-hmm. MasterCard, give people priceless experiences around their passions. You know, like, you really start to see how... That's a, that's a mission, and if I'm a young person, forget the ads I'm making. Like, I've got to help this brand be meaningful in people's lives. Yeah. And I think where, why it's, it's, it's relevant and where the business is going is people are accepting of brands more and more. Brands are part of people's lives. Right. Like, people accept it. Yeah. The flip side of that is they expect a heck, lot, heck of a lot more from brands. Yeah. You better be transparent. You better be innovative. You better be trying to make my life better. You better be doing better for the world, like all those things. Right. So it's, I think it's our job. I think that's where the business is going. More and more people are going to start accepting brands. And I really think it, it started all the way back to when Napster happened because young people are the key to everything. And the most <laughs> sacred thing that brands couldn't get involved with was music. Right. You know, we used to laugh at – I know you're a music guy, and so am I – like – we used to laugh at when, when brands would, would be on a commercial or they were sellouts or right. a tour would be sponsored by I remember by when or, the Nike used the Beatles revolution and everybody was up in arms. Right. Yeah. But when Napster happened and we started screwing bands over by not paying for music, the young people, I think, were, self, were conscious of it. It's like, you know what? I know I'm not buying the records anymore. Mm. I guess the only way these bands can make money is putting themselves on a commercial mm. or having a, a brand sponsor it. So I feel like that's when it started, because music was the key. And music is, brands and music go together now more than anything. Yeah. So I think that that's where the future is. Like, How do we protect that relationship between brands and consumers so it's mutually beneficial you know, and not exploitive mm-hmm. and just continuing to push the world into good places. 
Yeah. And that's why I'm a big fan of purpose-led marketing like Lockheed Martin or what yeah. Microsoft is doing for, you know, the STEM work, you yeah. know, and getting girls into science because yeah. I think that is real marketing because people are expecting more from brands. So I think that's more and more where, where the future is, is how do we continue to, to create this culture and world where brands and, and, and consumers coexist in a really meaningful and, you know, mutually fulfilling way. And that, I think, connects back to, uh, you know, at Crispin writing the PR release, you know, the press release for, oh, sure. for your idea. Because what that does is it forces you to articulate why people will care. Um, yeah. Because to write a press release, um, and if you're a, a kid and you, you don't know what a press release is, go look online at some press releases. Yeah, exactly. They're written in the same way every time. It's, it, you know, it sounds like an article in a magazine. Um, yeah. Try to write your idea as if you were a reporter reporting on that idea. And if it doesn't, if you can't imagine it being a magazine article, then it's not a good idea is, yeah. is sort of the And you the can re reverse engineer it. And that's where Lockheed, yeah. Lockheed Martin creates the world's first group VR experience for yes. showing, showing the future of education. Yes. You know, like, that's it, you know? Write a hundred of those ideas and, and you'll that'd be more great. And I think the meaningful part, I think Crispin really started as like, how do we, you know, sort of mess with culture, rub up against culture. Yeah. The meaningful part, I think, is where I, that, it's a little bit more here at McCann. Yes. Um, so, you know, I took sort of the, the best of the things that I learned at Crispin and, and was part of uh, shaping and, and, and then added some of the things we, we've done here, which is really about, you know, yeah, helping brands play a meaningful role. So the combination of those two, I think, is why maybe we're starting to make some things that are, are popping in culture. And how do you, because like back in the day, you know, we would write an ad, we would write a print yeah. ad for our books, and um, yeah. uh, maybe you can share a couple of your first print ads from your first uh, portfolio with us to show people. Yeah, I uh, will. Mine I were awful. Um, but what, what are I kids? Had, I had my favorite one I did yeah. was uh, for the Associated Press. I don't know why I chose that for my student portfolio, because I didn't go to ad school. I sort of taught myself. I worked at, like, as an assistant, you know, like, secretary, and I just worked work on my portfolio. That's in we were, the, in the building with Grayson Rothschild, right, in the same yeah, office? Yeah, I was working at a place called Taylor Gordon and Company uh, inside Roy Grace's office, who was my hero, you know. And yeah. all the people were really nice to me, and, you know, I, and, um, you know, I, I, my, I, I chose the associated. I actually remember my portfolio. I think it was, like, Rembrandt, Toothpaste, Comedy Central, uh... And the Associated Press, I remember the Associated Press was, was my favorite campaign, and the tagline was, where the news gets the story. And okay. I, I feel like it was a, maybe the, the thing that got me my first job, because I, like, I loved that tagline, yeah. you know? Yeah. I was like, and it had all these like, pictures of like, old news and had headlines, and it was, I'll try to find that, because those yeah. those that was my favorite thing I remember doing. It, you know, it's still it relevant today. That gave me the confidence. It's like, well, maybe I can do this, you know? Right. Um, but what – so we, we, we did print ads because that was our world. Yeah. What, what, what is, it, is it still best for, uh, for a kid to do print ads coming out? Like if you're a, a first year, you're, or even if you're like night school, like you're going to an ad class or you're just trying to make one yourself, what's the best way to show – what do you want to see in those books? You know, it's, it's, I, I, it's probably the one thing I'm uncomfortable giving an answer for because I, I haven't really looked at 
like junior portfolios in a long time. In fact, I think it's really challenging. You know, I, yeah. I, I, it, it is. I mean, in some ways, you know, you have to be a, a master of, of, of a lot and an expert at, at, at of a lot too, yeah, you know, yeah. like, cause you know, it, what you'll get from, you know, ECDs and CDs, like these young people, they don't know how to write or art track. They don't have the craft, yeah. but man, what we're asking them to be great at yeah. social, digital, you know, yeah. Experiential podcasts, yeah. <laughs> UX design. I mean, we're, we're really asking a lot. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I think in the end, you know, the, 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 the tools are out there. That the, everything has to be great. You know, I, yeah. I, I always say for a website of someone, of someone's great. It's like find your favorite websites that are the easiest to use that you love, and try to just copy them. You know, yeah. not 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 creative websites like. Right. Apple or Microsoft or, right. you know, who has got the experience that you love and, and make your portfolio that way. But it's really hard. I don't know. I, I don't want to get too much other than make it as easy as possible for me to love your work. Right. And that's, you know, the presentation of it. You know, that I can, that I can give you a good, good uh, recommendation of. It's like the, the speed in which you have to get through all these books and stuff and links are, are, are really tough. I, I mean... I, I remember the days where it's like I had you, know, you had to find the money to laminate your portfolio. You right. Know? Yes. Like, yeah. It was insane. You know? <laughs> it was in the twenties somewhere. Um, what was that place called? The oh my god, art, art something or? And we all uh, did you get the velvet backing yeah, on the back? Of course. You gotta you of, gotta get the. Of velvet course backing. I did. Yeah, or, duh. How do you make it look better? Than, well, you just didn't want it to scratch, right? <laughs> exactly. They would all scratch. Oh, um, my God. I still have mine. And they were, they were about 400 pounds when you, when you got you'd, all you'd of them. You'd wait for your them. book. You'd wait for your, like, uh, and then you'd get a call from, like, who was the woman at Amorati Impurus? Oh, get her name. God, I don't remember. I don't think yeah. I ever sent it to Amorati. And I, and I remember, you know, you, and you get the call, and the call is like, you can come get your book. Yeah. It's like, oh. It was gutting. I always, know, I, I always tried to think like, oh, maybe they want to also talk to me. I, w- I would always talk to myself, like tell myself that, no, you're going to go in. You're going to meet Ty Montague. It's going to be fine. Uh, some and then people the, were, you the know, book like, was like read, waiting in the mailroom. I, I did have like no one liked my portfolio. You know, yeah. I didn't get my first job. I got my first job because my mother was my mother was my first headhunter <laughs> because I was uh, – I was, I was, I could get, I was an assistant at Rice and Rothschild, not even working for them. I was just like a working for the a company inside their company. Yeah. You're just moonlighting for them. I'm, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and my, and I could, I was living at home in New Jersey in Montvale and I couldn't get, you know, no one was calling yeah. me back. No one would, no one liked my portfolio at all. Yeah. And, uh, and, and until, you know, Glenn Porter was really nice to me. I don't know if you remember Glenn. Yeah, he was really Christian nice now. to me. And he was really supportive. Of, of me and he liked my book one guy that didn't have it, it wasn't good enough Kirschbaum was on fire so like yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. good enough to get a job but at least he met with me yeah. and gave me some pointers yeah. uh, and then uh, Alan Richardson was an art director at Graves and Rothschild he also was super nice to me yeah. I eventually ended up hiring me hiring him at Crispin and he went on to do Small Business Saturday so Oh wow! Be nice. Be nice to everybody. Be nice to the juniors because they come back. I always tell the juniors and the kids and the interns, you're, "Please freelance me when I'm, you know, sixty something, and I call you up yeah. and, I, and I need a gig." No, um, it's true, you know. So you have to be nice to everybody. Don't be an asshole. And what? So what? Yeah. What? What do you think? Uh, like, 
what about the kids now who who are trying to get jobs? Like, would you just say like take any job and just keep going? Because that sounds like well, what you were doing. I mean, you were. Yeah, I feel like you know I finally got a job because my mother said I'm going to talk to people in my bowling league in New Jersey. Maybe they know somebody. I'm <laughs> like, Mom, amazing. what are you out of your mind? And she came back and she's like, Hey, there's a woman who who I bowled who she's got a friend at this big ad agency in media. Maybe you can call her. I'm like, I'll try anything. So I called this woman and she. Uh, she said, uh, you know what? I've got a friend in creative. I'll, con- I'll conference him in. So now I'm on the phone with this VP of media. So they conference in the equivalent of someone like me. So, and eventually the guy's like, hey, why don't you come in and, and, uh, and show me your portfolio? And I went in and, he, and he's like, it's not great, and, but here's what I would do. Just keep coming back and showing it to me. So I did that for a year. Yeah. And by, after a year, everybody knew me. They loved me, the secretary. They loved me. I was so yeah. nice. And finally, he's like, you've done it. I'm giving you a job. You know, I just don't have one for you right now. Now, I think back on this, it's like he could have given $16,000 job to me. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So he goes, just wait by the phone, and as soon as I have something, you know, you've got it. Yeah. So, of course, I go home. I tell my family, my dad. And I'm like, and they, they already know. Then, of course, the whole family knows this guy's name. You know, everybody, <laughs> it's a big thing. Six months come, and I'm always like, if he calls, don't just take a message. Don't try to be funny, Dad. Just, just don't fuck this up. <laughs> so, six months come, and I'm like, I'm never getting this job. You know, yeah. like fuck it. I'm, I was so down in the dumps. Yeah. And uh, I decided to take one day off. Yeah. One day off from my stupid assistant job. Yeah. And uh, that's the day this guy calls, and of course my dad was home on a Friday. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, Rob's not here. He's at the beach. Oh. Like, oh, man. And he goes, so, of course, they came home. And he's like, yeah, uh, uh, Bruce called. You know, I told him you're at the beach. I go, why, the, why, why would you tell him at the, the beach? So, anyway, luckily the guy was cool, and I got the job. His name was Bruce Nelson, and he was, uh, he was I think, like CCO of McCann. Wow. So one of the reasons why he came back to McCann right. is because they're the only agency that would hire me back when I was a junior. That's amazing. And now you're now you're running the place. Well, this this yeah. has been a great uh, interview. I'm I'm really uh, proud of myself. No, I'm proud yeah. of you. I'm more proud of you. Um, this uh, this is great. And how what how can people follow you on the social medias and stuff? What can they? Uh, what can I think what I'm at I'm at Rob Riley MC. At Rob Riley MC. All right. We'll and put then, it in the show notes, as they say. Yeah, and the, Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. On Facebook? Really? Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're followable now. You have one of those little blue checks next to you. Yeah, that, it's verified. You Jesus. Mean, that's, that's the term you're looking for. What the hell happened? <laughs> I don't know why I'm verified. I don't know what it means. But He's it, verified, it, everybody. It means God something. Me and, me and Justin Bieber. You and um, Justin Bieber and the president. But yeah, of the I, I, I'm a big fan of Facebook. I, you know. Okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, have All a great right, day, Rob Riley, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, man. So that was my chat with Rob Riley. That was amazing. I think he uh, he gave me a lot of uh, good advice for my career um, moving forward, and I hope you too. Um, I really love the stories. I'll try to get as much of that uh, onto the into the show notes uh, or onto the Ad House NYC site uh, when we get this podcast up. Um, And this has been The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thanks for listening. 
please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhouse.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Thanks for listening, everybody.